Welcome back to Musar for Sar Shalom. You know, I was recently asked uh, by a gentleman at our synagogue, is the Musar class only for women? And I said, no, it's open to everyone. Initially, when we started this class a whole year ago, uh, it was a women's only class, but since we've gone recently to YouTube, uh, we are now open to anyone that wants to watch us right here. Um, we do have, if you want to be part of that, a Facebook group, uh, Musar for Sarshalom Women, in which we discuss some of the issues that we learn here in class later. Um, and if you want to be a part of that, you can just PM me and I will approve for you to be a part of that. Uh, I am Batya Gage and uh, I'm the facilitator for our study here for uh, this week and next week. And then we'll uh, be taking a break and then moving on after the holidays. Uh, if you are in your second day of Rosh Hashanah, I wish you a Hag Sameach, second day. Hope you're having a great and relaxing day. I also hope you did not miss that absolutely amazing uh, Shabbat service at Shar, Shar Shalom on Shabbat. Uh, something happened. The spirit fell from the first note to the last amen. Uh, if you didn't get to see that, uh, go to live stream and watch Saturday's service. We also had a wonderful Rosh Hashanah service with lots of shofar blowing on Monday. And then after that, we had a very uh, meaningful Tashlik service at a nearby lake. So it's just been a wonderful few days and we're still enjoying it. Um, and uh, if you have not seen it, Rabbi Griffin's Rosh Hashanah uh, video that you can see right here on the YouTube channel the last time I checked had 23,000 views. So if you haven't seen that, you need to make sure that you are one of those. That's a fabulous video. Uh, as part of our 40-day preparation for Yom Kippur, we, uh, during the month of Elul, we studied a proverb every day. This month, leading up to Yom Kippur, we're looking at a psalm every day. And uh, although today would actually be Psalm 2, I love Psalms 1. And so I'm uh, just going to make an executive decision and we're going to go back and look at Psalms 1 from yesterday. Uh, I'm just going to read it straight through because it's such a beautiful psalm and then we'll talk about it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff with the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Beautiful psalm. So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, again, this psalm, like many of our problems, verbs did contrasts the ungodly person to the righteous person the righteous man has nothing to do with the sinners he does not sit with them or spend time with them rather he spends his time studying torah on it it says he meditates day and night 
Now, uh, the commentary on Tehillim, our psalm, which we lovingly call it Sar Shalom, the green book, uh, talks about those that must be involved in secular activity on a daily basis. You have a job uh, or whatever you're having to do. Uh, they avoid sitting and spending a lot of time just talking to scoffers. They always maintain their divine awareness, remembering that all of creation is in essence the product of God's will, recognizing that it is by divine design that they find themselves in spiritually challenging situations and their purpose is to imbue them with holiness. Now we in uh, Musar that have been studying Musar for a while, we call this our curriculum that God has designed for us to improve our mitot or our character traits. Um, Whereas the righteous find their passion in Torah, the wicked seek wealth and power, and scoffers seek after gossip and stories that they can tell. It goes on to say, when two people sit together and do not talk about Torah, they are considered a company of scoffers. For it says in a vote, three, two, those who forfeit the chance to study Torah are in effect scoffing at it. So make sure you get your Torah study in today. It goes on to say in that commentary that those who prefer to study alone are in effect scoffing at others because maybe they don't like their study methods or some of their opinions. And so they lack the humility to recognize that they could actually benefit from someone else's insight. Uh, the righteous are not merely content with avoiding, avoiding evil, but they use whatever free time they have to study Torah and improve themselves. The commentary also recommends that we set aside a specific time or a protected time, morning and evening or morning and afternoon, to study Torah every single day. Uh, if you watch the daily Aliyah, perhaps that's a good time to schedule that as part of your Torah study time. The psalmist compares the righteous man to a tree planted by the water. It thrives and grows and bears fruit. It says the righteous irrigate their soul with the water, and the water is considered Torah. Now, I was sitting out on my dock. I have a little pond, and I was sitting out there this morning doing shakrit, and um noticed uh, that we have a lot of trees beginning to grow by our little pond and we've talked about maybe removing some of those because those trees that are planted that are planted themselves next to our pond they are sucking water out of that little pond which is really like the righteous person does they're sitting next to that Torah and sucking out every bit they can from every word um but the ungodly are like the dry chaff that just gets blown away. Quite a stark difference between the two. And um, the commentary uh, symbol says that that dry chaff symbolizes superficial materialism. The stuff of this earth. The stuff of this world that we get distracted by. Uh the psalm ends by saying that uh, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Now, this might be confusing at first because generally we think we don't want to be judged or we say to one another, don't judge me. But um, so we have to really think about what is it trying to say here? 
There's a common thing in biblical poetry that you will find if you study biblical poetry, and that's called the concept of the parallel lines. Now, as we go into Ha'azinu next week, you will see many parallel lines. That whole, that's a poem, and it's written in parallel lines. And when you see one of these, if you don't understand one of the couplets or the two lines, then look at the second line, and maybe it'll give you some insight onto the other line. So let's look at that in this case. Uh, here it says, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So we can see here that uh, standing in the judgment is paralleled to um, the congregation of the righteous. So it must be a good thing. So look at it this way. Let's say that there was a widow who had been uh, abused or misused by a neighbor or taken advantage of. So she goes to the, the judge or the king and says, I want a judgment in my favor. And so she wants to be judged. She wants her case to come before the king and be judged favorably. But it says here that the ungodly will not have that opportunity. Okay, that's our psalm for the day. Let's look at our text, and let's do a quick review from last week. Um, we only have today and next week before we finish our current book, Kabbalah Forgiveness. It's been a most, for me, a, a character-changing book. If you haven't been following this study with us, I encourage you to get this book, get this study. It's not very long. Uh, you could probably do it on your own between now and Yom Kippur uh, next week, and it would, uh, I think, really be meaningful to you. Uh, next week, just uh, very brief briefly, I want to say that we will have class next week, even though it's kind of the Arab of Yom Kippur, Kippur Arab, but we will still have class. And, you know, we've been working, several of us, for months and months as we've worked ourselves towards Yom Kippur. So this will kind of be the culmination of all of our work next week. Uh, so stay tuned to the end of today, and uh, I'll let you know the name of our next study book that will start probably in November after the holidays. So last week we studied levels 7 and 8 of forgiveness and level 7 was called He Will Again Show Mercy and it taught us that God holds the penitent in even higher regard once he has repented. Now if you listen to the Aliyah for Sunday for the first day of Vayetze, um, you may have heard Rabbi also talking about this concept that after we sin, uh, Hashem holds us and we repent, Hashem holds us at, even, at an even higher level. If you remember, we looked at, I mean, we literally looked at the letter Hey from the Hebrew alphabet, and we described how that was a picture of the journey of the person who sins. They fall out the bottom. They can't go back the way they came, so they have to struggle up the side of, the left side of the hay and crawl in that tiny little opening at the top. Um, we also looked at uh, how that can apply to our own human relationships and how if you're in a relationship that perhaps you've been betrayed by someone you love, that after they have sought forgiveness from you, you can actually make that uh, uh, relationship even better than it was before. <coughs> um, we also talked last week about the rope that gets broken or cut and you tie a knot in it. That rope is even stronger than it was before. And in fact, the two ends are actually closer together than they were before the rope was cut. Level eight 
Last week was called Maintain a Core of Love. And in that level, we looked at how when we sin, that sin does not affect um, the love, first of all, that God has for us. We also learned that our good deeds rise without any obstacles straight into the presence of Hashem, but that our sins are not able to do that. Thank goodness. Uh, we also learned that even though we still have to deal with the consequences of our sin, the immense reward for the mitzvot that we do is not affected by any sin that we might do. We also looked at uh, applying this in our relationships towards one another and remember that the good that a person does and see if that will uh, subdue any memory of any harm that they may have done us. So today we're going to look at levels 9 and 10. Level 9 is kind of entitled uh, Bury the Past. And it looks at a concept of physics. Uh, I don't know if we have any physics uh, students out there, but energy never dissipates of its own. Rather, it can be redirect, redirected and absorbed into something else, but it doesn't just dissipate. If you think about a stone that's dropped into the water in a lake, uh, then it ripples out and it ripples out and continues on, and that energy is just moving out and out. Our sin is the same way. When we sin, it releases a force into the world uh, and that judgment uh, must come against it. It does not dissipate. It can only be redirected. And so this level of forgiveness is when God redirects judgment that we should get directly towards us and he redirects it. And we'll talk about how that happens. Okay, first of all, let's look at Rabbi Cordovero's comments uh, writing, and then we'll look at Abraham, Abramson's commentary on it. Uh, so he begins with the question, why was Pharaoh punished if uh, God used Pharaoh to bring the Jewish people to repentance, then they repented, then why wasn't Pharaoh released at that point? Why did he have to be punished? And if you read in the book, it gives several other examples of, of Haman and so on. And it says that it is based on the principle of the goat. And next week when we go into Yom Kippur, we're going to hear about the goat, the Azazel goat. And that goat literally bears the sins of the people. Should this goat that didn't do anything be held responsible for the sin of the Jewish people? And he answers, yes. When we confess our sins and we pray, wash me, cleanse me of my sins, erase in your great uh, mercy, but not through difficult tribulations. Now, if you remember, we studied in our uh in-depth study of Sha'are Teshuvah, that there are some sins that can be nullified by tribulations. Then there are other sins that can only be nullified by death. So if you think about those two options, we should cheerfully accept tribulation as our judgment over uh, certainly death. But we also learned that when we confess, those sins are, are then, um, we can nullify some of that punishment. So when we confess at Yom Kippur, and certainly back when uh, there was a temple, then the sins were literally transferred to that goat. Now, uh, the Zohar, in its commentary on Parshat Pekudeh, tells us about Samael. Now, who is this Samael character? Uh, this is actually, he's the one that comes to collect the debt on our sin. 
Uh, it's another name for, the, the word actually literally means poison of God. Uh, uh, it's another name for the uh, the adversary or the accuser, Hasatan, may his name be blotted out. He receives permission from God to go and collect on the debt of the sin. But it, now that sin has been transferred to that Azazel goat, so when Samael gets here to collect, only thing he gets is the goat and the people are spared. So that's how that, that energy uh, concept works. Um, and we are spared because the goat uh, took on that sin literally. So he encourages us to in, uh, to Im- imitate Hashem and to incorporate that into our own relationships with one another. Um, it is said in the Talmud that a wicked person who is punished with lashes and then he's done, after his punishment, he is once again called your brother and should be treated so. We should draw one another close if we see someone who's being punished or going through tribulation. And we should not say, well, they deserved it. Their sin brought them to that place. But rather, we should show him mercy and remember this level of forgiveness that Hashem has for us. Let's look a little bit at Abram's commentary on this level. And he talks again about the energy debt that is created when we sin. And at some point, this debt will have to be collected. And so God sends Samael to to do the collection. He's the collector. And, uh, you know, at times this payment can be very high. It can be even death. and he's even known as the angel of death. And uh, we certainly don't want to get to him before our time. If, however, we repent, then perhaps we may be exempted from death at that moment, having to pay that price at that moment. Uh, you know, that difficult process and the energy that is used in that uh, repentance process. Think about last week we talked about the struggle and struggling up the side of that hay. Um, God accepts that as partial payment on our sin debt, even though there's a balance that is still remaining. So, but he's going to accept that lower payoff. Um, think about if you maybe had a lot of credit card bills and you got behind on them, you might call up the companies and say, can I just pay a smaller amount this month? And they may work out a deal with you where you only pay half for a few months until you get caught up. But at some point, you've still got a a balance hanging out there. And so Samael is the one that comes to collect the balance on that debt. Now, we in Lapid know that it is uh, Yeshua, the Messiah, who pays uh, a, a balance, the huge part of the balance on that, on our sin that we can't even come close to paying. Uh, Rabbi Epstein compares Samael to a dog be- begging at a table. If you have dogs, you probably know exactly what he's talking about. You sit down to your meal and they're just there at your feet, just begging, begging, begging. So one thing that you can do is to you know, throw the dog a bone so that he takes that little piece of the meal, goes over to the corner and enjoys it and leaves you, the master, in peace to enjoy your meal. And it says that uh, Samael is the same way. He, he can, He's like the dog. So Hashem can throw him a bone and he's going to leave us alone for a while. So Abraham continue, uh, continues commenting, and he reminds us that a few weeks ago we studied about how <clears throat> Hashem washes the filth 
from the Jewish people and cleans up their mess. And he says, uh, uh, he quotes here in the ninth level, Rabbi Cordovero <clears throat> from Psalm 51 to emphasize that cleansing, washing power of repentance. But what happens to that rinse water once we're clean? That rinse water that contains all the filth of our sin is now thrown to Samael, kind of as the bone being thrown to the dog. Um, no energy is wasted, but rather it's transferred to that water, and then that water is given to the debt collector. Now, one of you who was kind of reading and studying ahead caught me in the hall this week and said that they believed um, that the waters of the mikvah might be that sloughing off water uh, when, we, when we are washed by Hashem, uh, and maybe she's correct. That's a good thought. Excuse me. So Abraham Abramson t returns to the topic of Pharaoh. Why then again was Pharaoh punished? Uh, if the exodus from Egypt brought the Jewish people to repentance, then why is he being punished? Well, he's kind of like that water from the washing, the the slough water uh, that's thrown to the dog. He's the uh, he was kind of the emissary of Samael, so he is going to be punished. There's a phenomenon called the punishment of the punisher. And this extends even to non-human objects. For example, an ox that gores a person to death may be required to be put to death himself. But also, uh, during the temple days when the Sanhedrin would uh, issue a, a death penalty or an execution of some time, whether it be through sword or stoning, after that execution, the punisher, either the sword or the rock would have to be buried. Uh, and uh, it says that this ninth level here of forgiveness is operational in the sacrifice of the goat of, of Azazel, the goat on Yom Kippur. The goat didn't do anything wrong, but when the Jewish people repented, God put their sins onto that goat. And then the goat is um, destroyed. And it also says that Hashem... Uh, it's like Hashem casts our sin into the deepest sea. And that's what it kind of reminds us when we do Tashlik, that we are casting our sins into the ocean. Now, how do we transfer this into our human relationships with one another? Um, you know, first of all, we have to know that all of this process of the transference of the sin and the washing and the sloughing off of the rinse water happens really without our conscious awareness of it happening. Um, but this fulfillment of that to Samael is happening. Uh, so in our attempt to imitate Hashem, we can see how we might do this. The Midrash Sifra describes a, discusses a man who received lashes. We talked about this a little bit ago. Rabbi Haniya bin Gamliel comments, all day this criminal was called wicked by you. Yet once he receives his lashes, he received his punishment, the Torah now calls him your brother. So in other words, once the punishment has been imposed and the sinner has been readmitted, uh, then he should be as if he were your brother. You should not be constantly reminding him of, of his past deeds and uh, saying, well, you deserve this. And so we can incorporate this in our react in our interactions with one another and our forgiveness towards one another and accept them back fully as if they had never sinned just as Hashem does for us. 
Now, uh, Abramson goes on with another, I think, very useful suggestion. He says sometimes uh, an inanimate object can symbolize, can be a symbol of, of a sinful act that perhaps you did, and that you can then take that uh, object, whatever, just like the rock or the sword, and you can destroy that item as a picture of removing your sin from you. And uh, so kind of like those pebbles that, that you may have cast into the water wherever you were yesterday or today, like Tosh Leek. Um, and so removing this item from your home uh, could, uh, you know, eliminate at least a reminder of that earlier sin. So let's look at a practical application that will kind of explain this a little bit. On page 172 in our book. It talks about a man called, uh, let's see, Naftali, who's having a problem with drinking, and he's really trying to get over it, and he's really trying to start fresh and just have a good year. So, But he knows that there is some value in remembering those deeds just so that he's not paralyzed by remorse. So he wants to do something to uh, symbolize his freedom from this habit. So with some help from a friend, he buys a bottle of, of the liquor that he probably drank. His friend helps him empty it out into the sink. He puts a few notes uh, into the bottle with some things that remind him of the sins that he committed while he was drinking. And then he rolls that up and he takes it to a bridge and he casts that item off of the bridge to symbolize kind of a fresh beginning. Um, and so that's a way that we can maybe uh, incorporate that into our own lives. Okay, that's level nine. Let's look at level 10. <clears throat> this one is called, interesting, in, interestingly enough, give truth to Yaakov or do the right thing anyway. Now, as we finish our book this week and next week, it says that... Uh, 10, 11, and 12, levels 10, 11, and 12 are called what, what he calls a triad. They kind of all go hand in hand. So we'll look at 10 today and 11 and 12 yesterday and then finish up with level 13. <clears throat> uh, next week, we're going to look at 11, which uh, deals with Abraham. Uh, and it, it uh, deals with those who go beyond to do something for someone else. Then the 12th level, which we'll also look at next week, will focus on forgiving people who seem to constantly be falling short. But this week, we're going to look at level 10. And this is going to look at some of the suffering associated with Yaakov, who suffered at the hands, suffered at the hands of some cruel and very deceitful individuals like his brother Esau and his father-in-law Laban. And he really had to learn some strategies for coping with difficult people. And so this 10th level of forgiveness is associated with Yaakov and addresses truth in forgiveness. Now it goes on to say that forgiveness uh, may require a slight deviation from strict justice. We'll look at that in a minute to see how we might do that. Even if a person deserves strict retribution, uh, perhaps there's a call for easing up a bit and offering some mercy and, and kindness, and we'll look at that. So let's look at Rabbi Cordovero's comment uh, writing first. Uh, he says that God demonstrates this trait of truth, referring to that which is just and upright. 
people who behave in a similar fashion, justly and uprightly, uh, God will treat them with truth and with mercy. And God will show them mercy out of justice or righteousness. And he says, so we too should be with one another, justly and righteous without perverting judgment. And that we should show one another mercy in that truth. Just as God shows mercy to the average creature at this level. So look at, let's look at Abram's commentary on Rabbi Cordovero's writing. He begins this way. Kabbalistic thought ascribes the quality of truth to Yaakov. Now, does that surprise you that, that here's a man that uh, has often been thought to have deceived uh, his brother or his father, and yet the attribute of truth is attributed to Yaakov? Uh, so let's look at this for a minute. Abraham, his uh, grandfather, was known for his overwhelming kindness, especially to strangers. Isaac, his father, was known for his overwhelming self-restraint, uh, especially if you think about the binding, how he voluntarily uh, you know, submitted to that. So now Yaakov comes along and he is a blending of the traits of his grandfather and his father. And he's in perfect balance of kindness and self-restraint. And in Musar, we talk often about balancing different traits. Uh, it also talked, uh, he does about uh, a concept called Lifnim Mi Shurat Hadin. And this is called Beyond the Letter of the Law. Now, we looked at this a little bit as we studied Sha'arei Teshuvah this summer, in which case there are some times when we read a mitzvot in the Torah, and we, uh, we can read exactly what it says, but in order to fulfill that mitzvot, we're going to have to go beyond the letter of the law to see how the spirit of the law should be carried out in a particular case. Now, in this instance, Rabbi Cordovero looks at this concept a little bit differently, and he says that there are times uh, when acting with truth means giving others a measure of kindness beyond what they might deserve. Uh, he goes on to talk about that Yaakov, on one level, refers to a type of person. The Yaakov type of person is the common person. He's the one that He's not a scholar. He doesn't spend many, many hours studying the Torah or on spiritual growth. He's a good person, but he's just so focused on the daily demands of life that that's really where his focus is. Now, he goes on to say that this type of person, the Yaakov type, may uh, is primarily focused on self-interest. He has no problem being rude when he needs to to get what he needs, cutting in line, you know, anything he needs to do to get his own needs serviced. Uh, he may be that one you see weaving in and out of traffic because they are the most important driver on the road. Um, Jacob, like we said earlier, was the one of the patriarchs that had the most experience dealing with the world and with those difficult people out in the world, uh, even more than his father and grandfather. And this 10th level of truth to Yaakov means to give Yaakov the strategy of forgiveness appropriate for the challenge of dealing with the Jacob type person. So in, in, the, in the divine context, it refers to God's allowance of an extra measure 
even for that common person that we in our eyes might not think deserve it, who fails to who fails to extend even general uh, courtesy and generosity to others, yet God somehow has a, an extra measure of mercy for that person, um, even uh, even when they uh, probably deserve some strict judgment. So to help us understand this, let's look at an example. Uh, Reuben steals $100 from, from Shimon. And exact judgment would say that Reuben now has to return $100 to Shimon. Mercy and kindness, on the other hand, might look dip, deeper and ask, why did Reuben steal this money? Come to find out, Reuben stole the money to feed his hungry family, and he even fully intended to pay it back as soon as he could. Therefore, in this particular case, a judge might offer mercy uh, with justice by allowing him to pay back the money in installments or even a reduced amount because Shimon is really a wealthy man. Uh, every crime requires punishment, but truth requires a judgment that goes beyond the letter of the law. And God renders this type of judgment with us. And he allows us time to do teshuva rather than, you know, taking uh, justice out on us immediately. He gives us time and patience. We've studied that over the last few weeks. And we should be with one another. Um, he also uh, calls this uh, level the do the right thing anyway. When you're confronted with a person who may even take advantage of you, uh, you may certainly protect yourself as you need to. But... Let things go when you can. Forgive immediately. Uh, don't uh, hold a grudge. And this might even be when the person deserves some rebuke or some some kind of strict response from you. Uh, perhaps you can uh, gather up this level of mercy and extend that towards them, even knowing that they will not reciprocate. You know, we cannot control how others will behave. We can only control our response to their behavior. So let's look at a practical application we probably have all experienced on page 184. Shlomo, uh, let's see, is it Shlomo? Yeah, Shlomo. Uh, we have a really... Uh, Nice gentleman at the shul named Shlomo. This is not about you, Shlomo. I'm sure of it. The traffic is intense. Waves of heat are shimmering off the <clears throat> hoods of cars locked in for blocks on the highway. Uh, it's probably I-35 here in Dallas, probably. Shlomo is only a half a mile away from his exit, and then he can get onto the side street and make his way home for dinner. A horn, a honk from a horn to the right draws his attention and he sees a teenager driving a bright yellow sports car pushing his way into the lane. Irritated, Shlomo is tempted to ignore the young man, pull up close to the car in front to create a barrier to which the uh, interloper could not uh, get by. But he remembers he's been studying this book that we've been studying. And he says, he remembers the level that says, do the right thing anyway. Even though that person doesn't deserve for you to let them in. Even though they don't deserve mercy at this moment. Do the right thing anyway. Give that driver a break. That extra minute or two added to your evening commute 
<clears throat> is not as important as treating that other person with an extra measure of forgiveness and mercy. Excellent. Okay, well, that's our level 9 and 10. Let's do a quick little review. <clears throat> oh, and then I'll let you know what book we're going on to next. So next week we will finish the triad of 10, 11, and 12. We'll look at 11 and 12. Um, 10, uh, 11, 12, and 13 are all very short. And we'll be able to finish them easily next uh, Tuesday. However, I realize that uh, day is... Uh, the day leading up to the Arab of Yom Kippur, our class will be at 2 Central Standard Time. Sar Shalom will have their Kol Nidre at 6.30. And in between there, you've got to have a big festival filling meal. So, I don't know, maybe put something in the crock pot or fix you a meal to eat while you're watching class. And if you can't watch it live, then uh, certainly I encourage you to come back and watch the last three levels. Uh, It'll be recorded, and it'll be there for you if you need to come back later. So today we looked at 9 and 10. In 9, we looked at the concept of the physics of energy and how it never dissipates on its own. Sin is the same way. Rather, God in His mercy redirects the forces of judgment that should come against us. We looked at how when the people sin, Samael comes to collect the debt. And when they, but when they confess their sin, that sin is literally put on to that Yom Kippur goat, the Azazel. So then when Samael gets there to collect, he only gets the goat. We also reminded ourselves of level three and how God washes us clean, washes the filth from our bodies and from our souls, and that that washed water that's sloughed off is, uh, is accepted by Samael as kind of the bone that we throw to him, that Hashem throws to him. And we are urged to have this same level of mercy with one another. We learn that a sinner, when he's punished, even with lashes, after he's uh, fulfilled his punishment, we should accept him back as our brother, fully and completely, with no reminder of, of what he's done in the past. We also looked at how we can use an inanimate object to symbolize our sin and then uh, remove that uh, item from our um from our lives, from our home, or wherever it is. Now, one thing that Rabbi Griffin uh, always recommends at this time of year <clears throat> is that you begin a list, uh, perhaps you've already started a list, of every sin that you can remember committing this last year. And you're going to work on that list. When you get it done, you confess it out loud, one by one, to Hashem, you and Hashem, and you go down that list, and then... You destroy that list. You burn it. You shred it. You do something to symbolize that those sins are gone. Just like when you threw the pebbles in the in the pond of water when you're doing Tashlik. Level 10, we looked at the Yaakov type people that are more concerned with self-interest than others. And we looked at how Yaakov blends the traits of Avraham and his uh, overwhelming kindness and Isaac and his strict uh, uh, self-constraint. And that Yaakov was also the one that had to learn the most skills of dealing with difficult people out in the world. We also looked at the concept of going beyond the letter of the law to balance mercy and justice. And that we should actually lean our balance scale slightly in the favor of mercy rather than strict justice. 
uh, and that when we are dealing with one another, we should try to be able to afford this same level of forgiveness and mercy with one another, and that we should let things go as much as possible. And we uh, said as a concluding remark, we cannot control how other people are going to behave. We can only control our response to them. Okay, well, what an incredible journey many of us have been on for the last few months. You know, we started way back this time last year with the very basic book, Everyday Holiness. And we just looked at the basics of Musar. Now, when you come back in December, uh, we may do a little review of that as well. Then we moved on to there. We jumped off the deep end into Sha'adre Teshuvah, which uh, we felt like we had a law degree at the end of it. And uh, we studied Teshuvah in extremely uh, deep levels. Uh, all that time we counted the uh, Omer and we looked at the Sephirot uh, as we did that. And that was a great study as well. We studied Proverbs. We've uh, Then we moved also on to Kabbalah forgiveness as we began in uh, Elul 1. And what an incredible study this has been, at least for me. I hope it has been for you. These concepts, while this book is small and, and little, uh, the concepts are the most challenging I've ever been faced with. Very, very difficult. Um, and then uh, uh, um, we've been working towards Yom Kippur, which is going to happen as we finish our last chapter next week. So it will be kind of like a, a journey completed. Uh, but that doesn't mean our Musar work is ever completed. And I know many of you are on a year-long uh, list of 13 Midot that you're working on. And I hope you are continuing to work on those. Now, uh, after next week, when we finish this book, we will take the rest of October off, and sometime in early November, we'll come back, and we'll have a new book. And here is the new book. It's also a, a, a book of Musar, and it's called Olam Hamidot by Rabbi Moshe Don Kestenbaum. Now, this book, while our last two books were specialized, the first one was uh, specializing in forgiveness and the, uh, the, in teshuva, and the second one in forgiveness. This book returns to a more overall broad study and improvement of, uh, of our midot, our character traits. So hopefully that'll get us back on track with our Musar study and perhaps get us refocused there. As we finish today, I just, I just want to say that I am constantly impressed by you that are doing this Musar study. Uh, sometimes you stop me in the hallway or you share an insight with me or you send me a message. And I, some of you uh, have far surpassed anything I had ever hoped for this class. And I even told one lady, I said, pretty soon she's going to be teaching the class because she has such great insights. And, um, you know, it just really touches my heart that you've been so faithful, even through the very difficult study of Shadrei Teshuvah, yet you've been here every week. And I just thank you for that faithfulness. And I know Hashem will thank you for that. And I hope that you go into this week of preparation for Yom Kippur with all of this knowledge that you have gained over the last few months, and that it brings you closer to Hashem uh, than you have ever been before. Well, 
it's still Rosh Hashanah for a little bit more, at least where we are. So I want to wish you a Hag Sameach for the rest of your day, the rest of your second day of Rosh Hashanah. And I just, I look forward to seeing you all right here next week as we complete our uh, journey and we prepare for Yom Kippur together. Thank you.